0: You guys can have a seat. If it's your first time with us today, we're so glad that you're here. Um, today we're going to be, jump back into the book of John. We're going to be in John 5, which is uh, another non-traditional Christmas text. But as I plan to show you today, I think it works really well for us uh, as we look towards Christmas. In fact, the title of our three-week mini-series, He Has Come, uh, comes right out of John five forty three, that says, with Jesus speaking, I have come in my Father's name. And so in a lot of ways, John 5 gives us some in-depth Teaching and explanation for the birth of Jesus. And as I said last week, the book of John, uh, it doesn't have the traditional birth narrative with the manger scene and baby Jesus. But it does, in fact, teach us about the incarnation, which is just a fancy way of uh, saying God became a human and came down to earth and live among us. Which is why we celebrate Christmas. Everything in the book of John uh, points to Jesus as the Son of God. In fact, the entire book was written for that purpose, as John 20, 31 tells us, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. And the reason we celebrate the birth of Jesus is not because Jesus was a cute baby uh, lying in the manger, and it's fun to celebrate birthdays. No, the reason we celebrate Christmas is because God came down to earth Uh, to live in live among us in the human flesh and the reason the birth of Jesus is so important is because it shows us that God took on the entirety of human form and we'll talk more about this next week but for this week we will see in John 5 uh, the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to they completely missed it they completely missed the incarnation they completely missed that God became a human and lived among his people they completely missed that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, he was right in front of their face, and they completely missed it, which leads us to our main idea. Don't miss it. Uh, don't miss Jesus, the Son of God. Maybe you've heard the idiom, uh, if it were a snake, it would have bit him. Uh, and unfortunately, I've heard this, uh, heard that phrase way too many times in my life. I don't know what it is, but y'all, I am the absolute worst Uh, world's worst at finding things that I should be able to find. All the women in my life tell me it's a man thing. Um, But y'all, I know in the name of all the men that I know, I'm just going to completely reject that, okay? I'm going to take one for the team and say it's only me. Uh, In fact, I know that women struggle with it too. Uh, But regardless, in our house, I'm always the one that can never find things in the refrigerator uh, or the pantry or our kids' clothes or shoes or really just about anything. And Kelly, uh, without fail, from the other room, uh, says it's there. You just got to look. Uh, or she'll tell me exactly where it is, and then I still can't find it. And I'm like, babe, where is it? Uh, and she'll come over uh, and have it in about two seconds. And I will neither confirm nor deny this, uh, but about half the time, it is, in fact, right in front of my face. Um, thus cues the phrase, if it were a snake, it would have bit me. And that's exactly what's happening uh, in our passage today with the religious leaders. Jesus The Son of God is right in front of their face, and they completely missed it. And and I think we can all agree that the same thing can easily be true of Christmas, especially in our culture. Uh, It's so easy to miss the purpose of Christmas, uh, thinking more about the Christmas presents we still need to buy, or the presents we still need to wrap, uh, or all the direct decorations that still need to go up, and not to mention for the kids, all the things surrounding Christmas that have nothing to do with Jesus. And hear me, I'm not saying uh, we don't do these things, my family does some of these things, I'm just saying it's really easy for us to miss why we celebrate Christmas. And everything in our passage today is shouting at us, don't miss Jesus! Don't miss that God became a human and came to live among his people. Don't miss the hope of Christmas. And y'all, we don't have to look too far or watch the news for too long or, or look too deep into our own life to see that the world is dark and life is difficult and relationships are strained and our sin is great and that we desperately need the hope of Christmas. We need it. Our friends need it. Your neighbors need it. We all need it. So don't miss it. That's the big idea. But before we uh, read our passage today, I do want to quickly remind us of what's happening in our text. Um, Jesus, up to this point, he's performed three miracles. He turned water into wine, he healed a young boy, and he also healed a man uh, who was paralyzed for 38 years. And the religious leaders who were there at the time, they were more concerned about the day on which Jesus healed the man than the fact that Jesus was actually healed, which thus uh, cues a great teaching moment for Jesus. You know, last week we saw the first half of this teaching moment, uh, that Jesus has authority over all things. And this week, in the second half, we'll see him get more direct with these religious leaders uh, who clearly were missing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so that said, we're going to start uh, the same verse we ended with last week. Uh, so follow along with me starting in verse 30. It says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved." He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay, so maybe you picked up on this, maybe you didn't. But there are two words that are said over and over again in those first ten verses. And those words are testimony and witness, Testimony is said four times, and witness is said six times. In fact, there are four different witnesses that are shown in those first ten verses, and we're going to look at each of those four witnesses today. And then after that, uh, the last time we see those two words, testimony and witness, we start to see words and phrases like refuse and do not receive, surrounded around the religious leader's reception of Jesus. In essence, they rejected him, which is how we're going to outline our time as we go back through this. Number one, the four witnesses. Number two, uh, the rejection. And then on the back end, we're going to focus in on Christmas with number three, don't miss Christmas. And uh, that last point, I think it sounds like a great uh, Hallmark Christmas movie. um, If any movie directors are out there looking for a title. But I I do think uh, Hallmark may take a slightly different angle. As some sort of religious comedy, uh, romantic comedy with a single girl trying to get home for Christmas but can't because she's overworked and stressed and meets a guy in the process, uh, which seems to be the plot line of every Hallmark Christmas movie. Um, Thus, don't miss Christmas. But let me assure you, that's not the direction we're going. Again, number one, the four witnesses. Number two, the rejection. And number three, don't miss Christmas. So let's look at our first point. Number one, the four witnesses. And going with this movie idea... I want you guys to imagine a movie with a courtroom uh, with some sort of crime uh, with several witnesses. And I don't think it can be a Hallmark Christmas movie because somehow they never have crime in them. Um, but, so let's just imagine ourselves in a courtroom uh, with four different pe- uh, w- and four different people who saw the crime uh, making them all witnesses to the crime. And if that were the case and all the witnesses agreed and were all deemed reliable, the case would be closed. Because generally speaking... In any court of law, one witness is, is good, two are better, and four, you would think this would be like a closed case in a home run, especially if they're all different types of witnesses, all coming from different perspectives uh, at all different times and in different ways, and they're all independent of each other. Uh, that makes for a really strong case. It would be a done deal. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to the religious leaders. There are four witnesses that all point to Jesus, the Son of God. And what I find interesting is that in verse 31, Jesus tells them that they shouldn't believe his words alone by itself. Look at verse 31. This is fascinating, okay? Uh, Jesus says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So Jesus, the Son of God, is telling them, don't believe him, Jesus, by his testimony alone. In essence, uh, it's If if he's the only one that says it, don't believe it. Uh, But he knows that that's not the case because he has four other witnesses uh, pointing to him. Jesus knows he has a really strong case and he is indirectly teaching them and reminding them and also us that one witness is not enough. He's indirectly telling them that if anybody claims any sort of deity and that if they are the only witness to their deity, don't believe it. Which, ironically enough, if you look at most major world religions today that involve a person at the center of it, their testimony and proof is often themselves. And Jesus here says, don't fall for that. That's not a good witness. He's saying, don't trust Jesus alone. Trust Jesus plus all the other witnesses that prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And look at verses 32 to 35 to see the first witness Jesus points out. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So who was the first witness that uh, Jesus points out? Uh, Letter A, the witness of John the Baptist. So at the beginning of the book of John, we saw that John the Baptist's purpose Was to point to Jesus. And you know what's interesting about John the Baptist and part of his testimony? Uh, Jesus in verse 34 says he's pointing out uh, out his testimony so that they may be saved. Because he knows, as he says down in verse 35, that they were actually willing to rejoice for a while in his light, John's light. And apparently these religious leaders accepted John the Baptist's testimony for a while and they rejoiced. And what I want to point out for us that I find interesting is that in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, in Jesus' birth narrative in Luke, in Luke chapter 1, we see uh, John the Baptist. We see the birth of John the Baptist, as well as the testimony and witness of his parents. Uh, they're a major part of Jesus' birth. Okay, so I don't know about you, uh, but I often don't hear the testimony of John the Baptist in his birth told at Christmas. But it is a major part of the story. And if you go back and look at that narrative, uh, do you know who John the Baptist's father was? It was Zachariah, who was a trusted priest. John the Baptist's father was a trusted religious leader by everyone in the community. And what we can't forget around Jesus' birth is that before Jesus was born, it was widely believed that God had been silent for 400 years. It was a dark and cold time. Things weren't good. There was a weariness to the world. And John the Baptist, a father, a trusted priest, when he went into the temple, he saw an angel, the angel Gabriel, which we see in Luke 1 which again was the first known sign of any activity from God for 400 years. And the angel said to Zechariah, John's father, that he and his wife, the angel told him they would have a baby and that their son would be considered great and point people to the Lord and told them that they they should call him John. The only problem was Zechariah and his wife uh, were well past their time to be able to have babies. And Zechariah says, well, How will I know this? Like, how can this be confirmed? And the angel says, I was sent to bring you this good news. (laughs) So the angel has good news. uh, And oh, yeah, we also see that the angel says, you will be mute. He made him mute and unable to speak until all these things take place. It's like kind of good news with a twist. And then Zechariah comes out. Uh, He can't speak. Everyone in the crowd saw saw him and they knew something was going on because Zechariah couldn't speak. So he goes home, uh, they make a baby, and nine months later, after nine months of no talking, they, uh, they name their child John, and Zechariah is then able to speak. And them and all of their neighbors in the entire region, they were filled with fear and awe, wondering, who is this baby? Who, who is John the Baptist, believing that the hand of God was on him? And then John the Baptist, he grows up uh, and it was told, and as was told, he points everybody to Jesus, and he tells everybody, that's why he's here. And Jesus, in our text for today, in John 5, Jesus knows that these religious leaders know this entire story, that they they knew the testimony of John. Like they knew of the 400 years of silence and Zechariah who was of nine months of not being able to speak and they knew of Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, who were past their ability to have babies Uh, and they knew how trusted Zechariah was in the community as a priest. And Jesus knows that they trusted and rejoiced with everything that surrounded John the Baptist who pointed them to Jesus. And Jesus was reminding them of this here and pointing them back to that. Yet as we'll see, they missed it. Look at verse 36 to see Jesus' next witness that he points out. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus says, uh, knowing they rejoiced at John's testimony, that whole story we just told, in essence, says, John's story, that was great, but but look what Jesus has done. And he points them to a second witness, letter her B, the witness of Jesus' miracles, which, by the way, our kids today are, are beginning to learn about Jesus' miracles. But, uh, but think about this: These leaders rejoiced at John's testimony in everything that surrounded it. They, they fully knew that God had been silent for 400 years, and Zechariah was mute and nine, for nine months and couldn't talk, and then his son was born, and he names him John, and then he can mir- then miraculously talk, creating all, some, all sorts of buzz in the community, putting up their antennas, thinking something is happening. Like God is on the move. And then 33 years later, Jesus, who, was John, the Bapt- who John the Baptist was pointing to, then begins doing miracles turning water into wine, healing a young boy, and healing a paralyzed man. You would think that the religious leaders, they would have got the memo. Like it seems way too much, like someone is in the refrigerator looking for the milk that is right in front of their eyes and they just can't see it. Like if it were a snake, it would have bit them. They were completely missing it. But you know what? Maybe, maybe we think they're being complete boneheads here, and, uh, but Jesus, I think, will show us no, there's, there's something else going on. Because I do want to remind you, what else Jesus has done up to this point in John? Remember, Jesus, he was in the temple. He, f- he was flipping over tables and driving out the money changers, saying the temple would be destroyed and rebuilt, showing these religious leaders how they completely missed the purpose of the temple and how if Jesus is who he says he is, things are going to change. Because when Jesus came onto the scene as a human, he started to not only turn over temple tables upside down, he, started to turn, uh, he, he stepped on the scene as a human to turn the entire world upside down. Why? Because the world is broken. The world is completely broken. And Jesus knows the world doesn't need a little tweaking. No, it, it needs to be completely turned upside down and revamped and remade. And when Jesus came to earth as a human, that's what he came to show and start to do. Jesus came to show us uh, and help us knowing that the world is broken, that our relationships are broken, that our work is broken, that our desires are misplaced, that our thoughts are misplaced, that our priorities are disordered, and that he, Jesus, is the one that will help them and fix them. And in order to fix them, as we saw last week, Jesus needs to be the one who has full authority over our life in all areas of our life. Jesus is pointing out these witnesses that should be as clear as day, but you know what? something isn't right they're missing it and jesus starts to get a little feisty look what he says in verse 37 and 38 seeing the next witness and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me his voice you have never heard his form you have never seen and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent so jesus is coming out guns a-blazing here saying uh, my next witness is god himself the Letter C, the witness of God the Father. Jesus said God himself bore witness about Jesus. But then he says to these supposed religious leaders in verse 37, he says, you've never heard his voice. You've never seen him. And you know what else he says in verse 38? You do not have his word abiding in you. Y'all, Jesus is coming out punching. And he's putting them in their place. He's telling these guys who study the scriptures that they've never heard the voice of God. And y'all, that's a big deal, because Moses, as we saw, as we see in the Old Testament, over and over again, who they so closely followed and studied, Moses repeatedly said, "Listen and obey the voice of the Lord." He said over and over again, "Obey the voice of the Lord. Listen to God's voice." And Jesus is saying here, they've never heard His voice. He says, in essence, "You say you know God because you're a religious leader, but if you knew God, you would know the one whom He sent." You would recognize his voice and his words, but they didn't. And then Jesus ties it to our last witness, letter D, the witness of Scripture. Jesus says the Word was not in them. And remember, when Jesus talks about the Scriptures at this point, he was talking about the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, and the prophets. And if they knew God, they would know the Scriptures. And these guys labored over the Old Testament. They studied it extensively extensively. And yet they still missed Jesus. Like these guys, they knew the creation story and the story of Noah and then the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they knew the story of the Exodus and the wandering Israelites and the Old Testament law. Uh, they knew it like the back of their hand. And they knew all the intricate details of the entire law. They knew about David and King Solomon and all the failed kings as well as all the prophets. They knew it all. Yet in knowing all of the Old Testament, they missed the entire purpose of all of it. They were more focused on knowing what it said than knowing the purpose of why it was said and what it all pointed to. In verse 39, Jesus comes in and he completely transforms the way that we look at the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament. Look at verse 39. Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. oh you know, this verse is foundational to how we teach the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Because Jesus is saying here that the entire Bible points to Jesus. It points to himself. The entire Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are entirely about Jesus creation points to Jesus. Noah points to Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob points to Jesus. The Exodus points to Jesus. All the failed kings point to Jesus. Ruth points us to Jesus. King David and King Solomon and the entire law and the Psalms and the wisdom literature and all the prophets, they all point us to Jesus. The entire Old Testament points us to Jesus. And as Sally Lloyd Jones from the Jesus Storybook Bible says, every story whispers his name. And the reason The birth of Jesus is such a big deal. The reason Christmas is such a big deal as we think about all of this is because, as Sally Lloyd-Jones said uh, in her book, The Jesus Storybook Bible, she titled The Birth Story of the Children's Bible, He's Here. That's the title of the book, I mean, of 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 the birth narrative. Jesus, the rescuer that they were looking for and waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years, He's finally here. Everything in the Old Testament, all the scriptures were pointing to Jesus. And you know what? The religious leaders, they completely missed it. They totally missed it. John the Baptist bore witness to Jesus. Jesus' miracles bore witness to Jesus. God the Father and all the scriptures bore witness to Jesus. uh, that Jesus was the Messiah that they were looking for, that they were waiting for, and they totally missed it. God came down to earth to rescue them uh, and come and live among them, and they missed it because they missed it, Jesus starts uh, to to pop open the hood and show them why. Look at verses 40 to 42. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So God came down to earth. Uh, Jesus was God in the flesh. The miracle of Christmas happened. God came to live among his people to bring hope and life, uh, and they missed it. But like I said earlier, they didn't just miss it. They flat out rejected it, which leads us to number two, the rejection. Jesus said in verse 40, they refused to come to him that they may have life. They refused Jesus. They refused the life. They rejected the life found in Jesus. And because of that, they did not have the love of God within them, Jesus says. They saw God. They saw the witnesses. They understood uh, that what was going on uh, with, with John, they saw miracles, they read and studied the scriptures, but they rejected it. And we need to ask, why? Like, why did they flat out reject Jesus? Think about this. So Jesus came into the world, born as a human. He came to live and dwell among his people to provide hope and healing and restoration for a dark world. Uh, they were waiting for someone like him to come, but they rejected him. And so we need to ask, why? Why did they totally reject him? Let's keep reading. Verse 43 and 44, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So I want us to slow down here and notice verse 43, Jesus came into the world in his Father's name, meaning he came representing his Father. He came as Jesus, the son of God. He came using God's name. For example, uh, my, my dad's name is Rick. And so using this, I would be Eric, the son of Rick. But Jesus, he was Jesus, the son of God. Again, showing God as his father. He, he came in his father's name. And a little fun fact here, Jesus never referred to himself as Jesus, the son of Joseph. Three times uh, that others called him that. But Jesus always called himself Jesus, the son of God, he came in his father's name, but they did not receive him. They rejected him. But yet he points out that they won't receive him. But yet they will receive other false teachers, ones that will endorse themselves, that will be their own witnesses, representing only themselves. And Jesus, who represents God, was rejected. But those who represent themselves and promote themselves will be received, which I think really gets at the human heart. Showing how we often prefer self-promotion and pride over self-denial and humility. But we'll get to that. So let's keep reading and finish our text. Look at verse forty-five to forty-seven. Jesus says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope, for if you believed Moses, you would have believed, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Again, Jesus is throwing punches here he's showing them their unwillingness to believe and in fact these religious leaders he's saying they don't they, they don't even believe Moses the guy that uh, who wrote the book that they study so extensively because if they believed Moses they would believe Jesus because follow me here think about this okay so back at the end of Deuteronomy 18 in the Old Testament the scriptures say that God would raise up a prophet like Moses that God would speak to and God will put words in his mouth and saying he would speak in God's name and Moses even gives them a response when they wonder how we even know if this is true and he responds and says in Deuteronomy 18 if someone speaks in his name and whatever he says does not happen it's not from God and then three times up to this point in the book of John Jesus Has proclaimed a miraculous event as the Son of God, and then each of them actually happened. Again, if they would have believed Moses, they should have then believed Jesus. Moses told them about Jesus. Again, they should have caught on to Jesus as the Messiah, but they didn't because they didn't trust Moses. That's what Jesus says at the end of our text. But again, we need to ask why didn't they believe Jesus and why didn't they believe Moses? Why do they reject them both? Why did they reject Jesus? As we saw back in verse 44, it's because they were seeking the praise of man and not the praise of God. Look back in verse 44 again. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from, only, from the only God? So Jesus here in verse 44, he gets at the heart of their rejection. Everything was right in front of their faith, face. Uh, if it was a snake, it would have bit them. They had the testimony of John the Baptist, Jesus' miracles of God in scriptures, and Moses told them he was coming. But the problem was, as verse 44 shows us, they were seeking glory for themselves and not from God. They were religious leaders, not because they loved God, but because they loved power. They were religious leaders, not because they were devoted to the scriptures and loved God and his word, but rather because them knowing the scriptures gave them authority and status and it put money in their pocket and it gave them the respect they desired. They were looking, they weren't looking for a messiah to bow down to. No, they were looking for a messiah that would elevate their platform. They rejected Jesus at the end of the day because they didn't want to submit to Jesus. And the praise of people was more important to them than the praise of God and it was affecting their believing. It affected their faith. They missed what Jesus had for them because they were more concerned with what others thought of them. New City Church, I can't help but wonder how may this very idea be affecting our own lives and our relationship with Jesus. Let's ask the question, How are we missing the way Jesus is ministering to us because we're more concerned with what others think of us? What power is being stripped from God because we're giving that power to other people? Y'all, we know that Jesus came to bring peace on earth, and so let's ask, what peace are we losing because we're anxious about what someone else may think? We know that Jesus came to bring hope and healing, but let's ask, how may our hearts be hardened from the the healing power of God when we confess sin, but we don't confess sin because because people have more power and authority in our life than Jesus Christ? And I know, uh, seeking the praise of people, that manifests itself in various ways. For example... Materialism is often a byproduct of the praise of people. A social media addiction is a fruit of the praise of people. Stress and worry and anxiety are oftentimes, sometimes, a byproduct of the praise of people. Pride is often a result of the praise of people. A lack of boldness in gospel witness is often a result of the praise of people. Fear of failure is often a result of the praise of people. Demanding respect and authority is often a byproduct of the praise of people. A desire for status and position and success are often driven in an unhealthy way by the praise of people. Y'all, we could go on and on about this, about how this affects us. And do you know why this is so sneaky for us? Because at the surface, it doesn't seem me-centered because we're considering others. But may we not be fooled because it is, in fact, me-centered and not Jesus-centered. Because in seeking the praise of people, we're thinking, how does that person affect me? Or how does that person see me or what does that person think of me and what jesus is showing us here is that this way of thinking can be detrimental for us because in it we miss the life that god intends for us you know what happens when we seek the praise of people we all do it in various ways god's voice becomes softer and the voice of others becomes louder The direction of our life becomes driven by the voice of others and not the voice of God. And we miss what God has for us. Just like with with what happened to the religious leaders. And you know what the result was for the religious leaders? It made them incredibly anxious and fearful and stressed, leading them to sin. They wanted to kill Jesus because of it. And like I said earlier, this happens uh, when we seek the praise of people. It often leads to sin and anxiety and stress and fear. And you know why? Because people are so fickle. (laughs) And they're not always easy to trust. But do you know what the healing balm of the gospel does for us and points us to? It shows us that, yes, people are fickle and sinful and not always stable, but take heart because Jesus Christ, our Savior, is stable, steadfast, unmoving, and eternally trustworthy. He sees all things. He knows all things. And you know what? He not only sees all and knows all, but yet He deeply cares for your soul. Because if you are hidden in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus, Jesus right now is interceding on behalf of you to God. He sees everything in your life and is praying and pleading on behalf of you to God. You know, I just imagine, okay, God coming down to sit down with us. Coming to sit down with us at a dinner table, great meal. I just imagine, I have this picture in my head best meal on the planet, right in front of us. Jesus and God is wanting to talk to us and lavish his love uh, on us, wanting to heal our hearts, wanting to speak truth to us and help to free us from anxiety and worry and stress and wanting to fuel our souls with hope and peace and wanting to give us direction and to grow us and mature us. Just sitting across the table from us, speaking to us, loving us, but yet he sits down at the table with us Speaking to us clear as day, lavishing us with such great truth. And I just imagine us, myself included, oftentimes with earbuds in our ears, talking on the phone with other people, hearing their voices and muting out the voice of God as he is seeking to fuel our hearts and souls with hope and peace. New City Church, may we take the earbuds out of our ears Seeking the praise of people and let God minister to our souls. May we not miss the beauty that is right in front of us. Don't miss it. May we give more value to the voice of God than the voice of others because Jesus says to us, you're mine, you're my beloved, I'm proud of you. Let's take the earbuds out of our ears and let's be in in awe of God's voice. You know how we grow in this? We day in, we day out, week in, and week out, gaze upon the beauty of God and his, and his grandeur. When we open up our Bibles, we don't first ask, God, help me with my problems and my circumstances. No, we first ask, God, help me see you more clearly. God, help me see how great you are. You know, the Bible is not about us, as we saw earlier. It's all about Jesus. It's about God. And may we be a people that long to grow and sing more of the beauty of God day in and day out, week in and week out, so we can begin to realize how frivolous those earbuds are in our ears and 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 continue to be reminded of how great Jesus is who is continually speaking truth to us. New City Church, there is incredible peace that is found when God's words and opinions of us hold more weight than the words of fickle and sinful people. You know what, what Jesus? Jesus knows this, which is why he came into the world. God came into the world to help a weary world rejoice. He came bringing hope and healing, and to that we must say, don't miss it. Don't miss the incredible beauty that's right in front of our face. Don't miss why Jesus came to earth. May we not miss why Jesus was born. May we not miss why God came to live among his people, which leads us to our last point. Number three, don't miss Christmas. I said this last week, and I'll say it this week, and I'll likely say it next week, too. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't do all these things. My family, again, does all these things. I think they're fun. But Christmas is not about presents, decorations, Hallmark Christmas movies, and peppermint mochas. Christmas is all about God entering into a dark, me-centered world and turning the hearts of God's people back to himself to show his beauty to the world. Christmas is a reminder that God came down to earth to rescue us from us, from putting ourselves first or thinking too much about what others may think. Christmas is a reminder that God did not abandon his people after 400 years of silence and that he will not abandon us now. God came down to earth to live among his people, to live the life that we could not live, and then he went to the cross and died and rose from the dead, and we put our faith in Jesus. He comes inside of us, and he lives with us. Jesus has come to live among us and also in us. And you know what? If you remember in our story, Jesus had four witnesses that testified that Jesus was the Son of God, the Rescuer. But do you know what our greatest witness is today? It's Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. The cross is our greatest witness. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus, do it today. Like Jesus is right in front of your face. Don't miss him. Don't reject him. Trust him today. He has life and purpose to give to you and to show to you. New City Church, again, Christmas is a reminder that God is with us. That He lives and dwells among us, that no matter what is going on in your life, may we remember that day after day God enters into brokenness and messiness, and He rescues us and He restores us. Every day, in some way, we fail, we sin, and we fall short. But you know what? Every day, by God's continuing and ongoing supply of never-ending grace, God continues to rescue us from us. He continues to lavish His love on us. But we need to remember to take those earbuds out and hear the voice of God. We need to remember that, yes, God is with us and speaking with us. But we need to remember that we're in the presence of God, listening to his voice. Because when God's voice is greatest in our life, God brings hope and and healing. And with that said, I want to close with this. Y'all, we're not the only ones that need this. There are people all around us that see the darkness and noisiness and messiness of the world that also need hope and healing. There are people all around us that need the hope of Christmas. And next week at our Christmas service, you know, we have an incredible opportunity to write a friend or a neighbor and maybe see a life changed forever. We are in an incredibly unique time in history right now. We're about one third of regular church attenders from two years ago They never made it back to church. They stopped attending, and they haven't been back since. And if you know anybody that once attended uh, any church but is now not attending, next week is the time to invite them because for whatever reason, uh, around Christmas and Easter in our culture, people are way more likely to come to church just from a simple invitation. A simple invitation this week could fuel hope and healing for your neighbor or your friend. It could change their life forever. So let me leave you with this simple question today. Who will you be inviting uh, next week as just a simple invitation of hope and healing? Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you came to live among us, that you did not abandon us. You didn't abandon us uh, Then you didn't abandon us to the cross, Father, and you won't abandon us now. God, you are with us, living among us. And Father, there is great hope and healing. Father, there's great peace that can be found knowing that you are with us, that that you are laboring alongside of us. God, we need you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.